you hear a lot of people that say you can't find deals on the MLS, but I feel like the more niche of the product you get into real estate, the smaller the pool of competitors. I mean, there's been tons of times where there was a couple of deals where we attempted to pursue that it was just really between us and one other party. This is the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan, where we interview local real estate investors and professionals to go over tips, tricks, and investing strategies to help you learn about the business and to enable you to achieve your financial goals. And now, welcome to the show. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. Today, we have Hannah Azar. Hannah is a real estate investor who focuses on purchasing commercial mixed-use properties in San Francisco. He'll tell us how to generate wealth with mixed-use properties and how to vet a quality retail tenant. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to the show and leave a review. We release episodes every Wednesday and Sunday. Enjoy. Go ahead and introduce yourself and let us know who you are and how you got into real estate investing. Hi, my name is Hana Azar. I um, got into real estate. It could be said through multiple ways. My father taught me about investing early on. Maybe I was 10 or 12 uh, about real estate, stocks, and just business in general. come from a family of small business owners and entrepreneurs. So real estate was always a topic. For Thanksgiving and Christmas dinners. Yeah, that's the bulk of it, how I got started. I mean, that's pretty awesome. I wish my parents taught me when I was young. Yeah, I had some pros and cons, but uh, definitely when your older cousins are talking about something and you kind of look up to them naturally, um, it kind of resonates with you and sticks with you for your early childhood. So that kind of had that effect on me for sure. Absolutely. So what is your main investing strategy now? Right now, I focus on value-add investing particularly mixed-use buildings in and around San Francisco. I got started starting small. I uh, bought my first investment, which was a single-family home in East Palo Alto. Uh, I was 20 or 21 years old. It was right around 2012. I got started just renting it out for two or three years. It was a short sale. I uh, then sold it in 2015 and did a 1031 exchange into an eight-unit mixed-use building in San Francisco's Mission District. My father was my partner on that, and I also helped manage the family portfolio. So is that currently what you own right now, just a unit in San Francisco? Um, I own that along with another mixed-use building in the Mission District, which is five units. So what is it comprised of? Is like eight units of residential plus another like downstairs unit? So yeah, it's uh, seven residential units and one ground floor commercial retail. And same with the other building, it's um, four residential upstairs and one retail downstairs. Do you know what kind of retail stores they are? Oh, yeah, of course. One, actually, we just signed a lease with them because we. Um, it's a funny story, actually. The building used to have a ground floor garage on a commercial street, a pretty busy corridor, and we converted it into a retail space. It took about, I think, 13 or 14 months of construction, uh, but we finally got it completed. We actually just got the certificate of occupancy yesterday. <laughs> So it's kind of funny I'm having this talk with you now. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah, thanks. It was a long time coming. We did lease it out to a yoga studio focused on families. So she'll have like um, kind of a babysitter or nanny type um, situation in the back that's covered. And the mothers and fathers will be doing yoga in the front in the main, main yoga studio. How about your other property? To camping gear rentals. So you rent or buy, I think predominantly rent camping gear, and it's also in the mission district. And why did you decide to do something mixed use and not just do the traditional route of multifamily? 
I guess uh, growing up in retail, I uh, also co-own and grew up in retail stores. I own, with, along with my father and my brother, um, cell phone stores throughout San Francisco. So retail has always been kind of a big um, thing push for me. Plus, um, I kind of like the diversification of having ground floor retail and residential. It's sort of a diversification on its own. And it's just kind of um, pride of ownership too when you see like a business in your building. Yeah, I mean, it's really cool. And in fact, it's exactly what you said. Like for me, I don't have retail experience. So if I buy a building with a retail tenant, I don't. I wouldn't feel very comfortable with it. But for you, you guys have lived and thrived in it your entire lives. So you guys are probably very comfortable with that. Yeah, I mean, anyone can learn it. Just because we were in retail doesn't mean I don't discourage anyone from not pursuing it. In retail, it's much more so on like the credit worthiness of the tenant. San Francisco, obviously, is a, is a city full of small businesses. So you won't have so much of that credit worthiness. It would be kind of up to the individual to determine uh, how busy is this restaurant that night by maybe going with friends if you are interested in the building. What are the owner's financials look like? How much security deposit do they have? How long is their lease? Do they have an option to renew? Do they have uh, revenues that projections that they can share? And so on and so forth. It's definitely something anyone can learn. We just happen to have that background and I just happen to like to research uh, on Loopman, CoStar, and other um, real estate-focused websites that um, I am a little more familiar with those terms. Yeah, mixed use is definitely something I like and hope to continue to grow in. And did you have to kick out any of the old tenants when you bought those those properties? Um, for like uh, retail tenants or residential tenants? Well, the residential ones, like one of the biggest problems in SF is that they're so rent-controlled that you know, you're renting for like 600 bucks, but market could be 4,000. So sometimes you buy them out. Yeah. Cash for keys. So um, the one we just completed the conversion from garage to retail and that one, we did buy out a tenant. They were paying about $1,500. It was, there was some overcrowding going on that wasn't very sanitary or safe. So we had a discussion and we came to a number. I believe the number basically was a total package of $75,000. And that is comprised of uh, new money, which is actual money going into her hands and um, back rent that we essentially forgave. So we worked that out. It took some time. It wasn't easy by all means. It was, it was difficult. It took almost 14 months, I believe. But we ended up uh, doing a full renovation on that place, putting wide plank flooring, very high ceilings, I think 13 or 14 footers, two bedroom, two and a half bath, modern, huge living room. And I was able to rent it out for 47.50 to uh, two new guys from, um, I believe the Midwest that work at Twitter. How much did it cost you to do the remodel? Uh, about $100,000. Okay, that's pretty good. Wow. Yeah. Every time I go in that unit to um, like giving them letters or any any kind of um, updates, I always get jealous because like, oh man, this unit's so nice. <laughs> These ceilings are really cool, and like the two bedroom, two and a half bathroom, and both bedrooms have in suite, so the both of both of them are technically master bedrooms. Yeah, you're like, I, I want to live there. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, I just had a kid, so living in the city is a little too tough for me at this point. <laughs> oh man, I totally understand, and, and I know how you feel. Like when I do my flips, I'm like, oh, I want to live in this house. I don't want to sell it. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely a couple of those, definitely. Yeah. So you're talking about vetting a retail tenant. I think this is something that's very unique. I have had anyone who actually has retail tenants before. 
Can you go to some more specifics on like what exactly do you look for? You were talking about the numbers that they have, but like what what numbers exactly are you looking for? Um, yeah, I mean, because San Francisco is like like I mentioned, a city of full of small businesses. It's their first business and their first endeavor. It's really hard to hold them to the gun for certain standards that you would for like a Starbucks, for example. Um, we look first and foremost at the person and the individual. What are they like? Are they um, enthusiastic? What's their background? Um, do they? What, what do we see them staying there for a long time? And we obviously look at uh, any kind of business models that they have, financials, security deposit that they're willing to put up. So do you charge like a two-month security deposit for retail? Or is it so just one month? One of the two tenants I just mentioned, one of them, uh, we charged him a lump sum of about $22,000. And he preferred that to avoid being personally guaranteeing the lease. So um, we decided to kind of go with that option. Um, it's not something we initially wanted to do, but we felt strong enough in his ability to run the business. And uh, it's been about three years now and he's doing very good. So is the rents for retail in San Francisco like 10 grand? I don't, I don't even know what the order of magnitude is for retail space. Yeah, it varies quite a bit. It's, it's really based on a price per square foot. Most of our buildings, five of them are in the Mission District. And I would say the price per square foot ranges. It really depends on the size of the square footage too. So something that's 2,000 square feet, for example, is going to be lower that you could charge them in price per square foot than something that's 500 square feet. We have 500 square feet retail tenants that pay between 7 and $10 a square foot, depending on the nature of their business. But we have tenants that are like 1,000 to 1,500 square feet that pay about 325 to 375 a square foot. Plus in commercial real estate, you also charge CAM, which is like double or triple net, where they pay a portion of operating expenses, um, such as property taxes, insurance, and sometimes management. So just to give you an example, if you have a thousand square foot tenant and you're charging them 350 a square foot, the rent would be $3,500. If they are taking up 30% of the square footage of the building, so let's say the building is 3,000 square feet, you would charge them 30% of the operating costs of the building. So if the operating costs hypothetically is $20,000, you would charge them six grand a year. And what we like to do is divide that so it's a recurring monthly charge. So it's just not like one lump sum once a year once or twice a year. So we just kind of built it into the monthly rent. Obviously, if you go to Union Square, it's going to be $100 or $50, $50 a square foot. I'm not really familiar with price per square foot there. But um, people do it there for brand recognition, sometimes more so than actually running a profitable business. It's kind of like Game of Thrones, right? It's a lost leader. <laughs> yeah, sure. You don't make money on that show. Okay, it's cool. Good to know. So what kind of financials would you expect a retail tenant to have? If, let's like, say, rent is, I guess, like $4,000, $5,000 a month, how much gross do they need to be able to support that kind of rent? You know, we, we typically charge about two-month security deposit. And we it's really on a case-by-case -case scenario, to be honest. And some of the buildings, that I must note, that uh, we inherit the commercial tenants. So we didn't choose them, um, not that they're bad or anything, but we buy buildings. And then, you know, when you sell a building, the security deposit transfers to the new landlord and uh, we inherit the tenants there. And uh, just to give you an idea, we manage about 68 units 
in and around San Francisco. So it's really on a case by case basis, but we look to see that they can, you know, support the construction costs, obviously for any build out that they want to do, that they have a solid business plan and that they could afford two or three months of security deposit. So you don't really check to see if their average gross is like two times the rent or something like that? Sometimes we do, but in, in cases where it's a new business owner, it's, it's tougher to do so. So a lot of times it's like a, kind of a, a gut feeling, a gut feeling along with those other things I mentioned. So you manage 68 properties. So do you guys also have a property management component to it? Or are you talking about this is like a family portfolio of 68? So it's a family portfolio of 68 units. I might be off okay. by one or two. I wanted to look beforehand, but I missed that. But uh, we do the property management ourselves. To give you an idea, we started small. So we, I think we grew from about 10 properties in 2011, or 10 units rather, to about 68 today. Wow, amazing. What is your buying criteria? Uh, we always look for value-add components. And I, I want to give a shout-out to a book that I feel like helped me um, quite a bit. It's uh, Manny Cushman's book. It's How to Build Your $100 Million Real Estate Portfolio. I like that. I never heard of it before. Yeah, that was definitely a big inspiration. Very easy to read. And so was Confessions of a Real Estate Entrepreneur. I think the author is Jim Randall. Those two had a really big impact in uh, my real estate investing philosophy in so far career. Like I said, I bought my first house when I was 20 years old. I um, decided to sell it three years after because I just thought that I need to grow. And um, I felt like growing was doing 1031 exchange and kind of scaling up that way. And I recommend the same to my father. And we did it as a basically family portfolio. And that's sort of how you grow, especially when we're investing in single family homes. I feel like it gets overvalued and overcapped and it's limited to what you could do. So that's kind of where I got that philosophy. Yeah, there's definitely more creativity possibilities in commercial. And do you want to give us a quick summary of what the two books are about and what are the key takeaways you got from them? Yeah, definitely. So Manny Cushman is a uh, real estate entrepreneur based out of LA. Uh, he talks about his journey and his real estate journey. And he talks basically very much so about value-add deals, never fall in love with a property, increase basically NOI, sell after two to four years, and just continue to grow exponentially that way. And he found out that he personally liked office buildings the most, and he went to multiple states. So kudos to him for uh, making the leap over states. Um, but the same concepts apply no matter what you do, whether it's uh, multifamily, mixed use, commercial office, and even single family homes. I mean, everyone starts somewhere. And I think it's just the, the main key points is adding value. And that's the way you create real wealth in real estate. And I'm sure you're, your most of your listeners know that adding you know flipping homes and adding value if you time everything right and you focus on what the client wants is a form of adding adding value that's creating real wealth not just buying and holding and just just forgetting about it and putting it on your shelf as if it's a book so active investing can you give us like an example with like numbers of what a potential deal would look like to you in terms of like value component, what is your purchase price range? How much do you think you would put into it? And how much do you think it'll be worth after you're done? Yeah, I actually have a pretty recent case study of one of the buildings I mentioned. So we uh, bought it for 1.4 million. We did major construction 
through the ground floor in terms of foundation work, beams, moment frames, all kinds of city inspections, and the remodel of the residential. And I think that cost us just around 600 grand. And we, you know, utilized construction lines of credits. And we recently got an appraisal and it was appraised at 2.8. Nice. So that's a recent case study that's um, very, very recent. But it took, it also took time. It's been two years now since we acquired it. Two years and maybe a month and a half. So you said you used construction lines of credit for it. How did you acquire the property? Did you use hard money? We actually did a 1031 exchange from a duplex that we essentially flipped in Oakland. Okay. That one was actually a funny story. It used to be a church and we converted a church <laughs> into a large duplex. Nice. Yeah. And that was in West Oakland. That one took a while as well. Uh, a lot of construction, almost brand new construction minus existing walls. So it was like a really, really big project. Do you have your own crew? We don't have our own crew, but we, I think we went to, through two or three contractors and we have one handyman that's been working for us for five or six years. I think the hardest part of real estate investing is the contractor portion and uh, we'd be happy to hear any un- insights or top uh, tips from you or any other of your listeners on that because that's obviously the hardest part for us to manage is timelines and so forth. Absolutely. It feels like the best way is to have either a really close friend or a partner who is part of your organization or a family member. Otherwise, it's very difficult. Agreed. Agreed. Now, you're talking also about how you converted a parking space into a whole retail area. And I'm sure it's not easy, especially in San Francisco, to go through the whole permitting process. Yeah. So the permitting process is actually not that hard uh, as long as it's zoned for commercial so we, we essentially um, came across these two properties that were in a pretty commercial zone. They have been used as parking garages just because they have been used that way. And no one has took the time to um, convert it. Um, and it's obviously a pretty big job, as I mentioned. So they were actually in commercial zones. So the permitting process wasn't too hard. Just getting our architect to do the plans and submitting it. But I don't think the actual approval process was very hard because they are existing, they're, they are zoned as commercial use. So basically you have the architect, draw some designs, you submit it to the city planners, and then it just goes in a long queue and you wait. Is that basically it? I think it was relatively quick. I think the hardest part was getting our architect to actually do the work, <laughs> to be honest with you. It's because you're not changing the use of the building. Um, you are using its existing use by, by city definition, and you're just basically taking over that use, essentially, that pre-existing use. Okay, got it. It's like if, if an office space was used as residential, but it's really zoned as office. I see. So it was just that your architect took a little bit longer because he had to do whatever he had to do. Yeah, I think it took maybe two or three months to do that. Did you say it took you 14 months? to? Oh, actual, that includes the construction. Actual construction, yeah. Okay, got it, got it. Yeah. How are you finding your deals now? Most of them are MLS. Really? Like yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. Um, obviously, you hear a lot of people that say you can't find deals on the MLS. You can't find deals. But I feel like the more niche of the product you get into real estate, the smaller the pool of comp- competitors. I mean, there's been tons of times where it was just – there was a couple of deals that were bigger deals where we um, attempted to 
pursue that it was just really between us and one other party. And the upside on those were huge. So I know sometimes you see a bunch of people that go to open houses or open properties, but never doubt the ability to make an offer and try because you might actually win. That's true. As long as you set your buying criteria right, they might they might take you, right? Yeah, definitely. Your niche is uh, retail mixed use, right? That's pretty much where you guys are going for. At this point, yeah, I think it's mixed use apartments mostly. Yes, we've done flips in the past. We've done duplexes, but I think that's kind of where we're headed. So going back to your buying criteria, like, is there a certain like number do you look at? You said value add, but like, you know, hundred grand or just, I mean, I, I'm just wondering what are your, what are your actual buying criteria? I, I, I think the, um, after the refinance or sale, we're looking for 15 to 25% IRR. Makes sense. Right now, is your real estate business doing better than your cell phone business? Uh, I love them both. I, I, I don't know. It's hard to say. Um, we, um, we have managers at our cell phone stores. I also work alongside my brother and my father. So there's definitely support on, on both sides for both businesses. Yeah. So you've been doing this for seven years now, eight years now? Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's been eight years. Cool. What advice would you give yourself if you can go back in time? Or if you could start over, what would you do differently? Uh, buy more during the recession. <laughs> And uh, yeah, just buy more, I guess. Um, and, and, oh, obviously a big one is utilizing uh, more creative financing solutions. And it's only recently that I've been going to more uh, meetups, meeting great people like yourself, um, that I've been learning more about creative financing, which I think is huge um, into doing this on a much larger level. Um, so as long as the numbers work out, utilizing creative financing, whether that's seller financing, uh, private or hard money. If, if I could go back, that would be like my number one thing because that would allow us to scale much, much quicker. Right. Because I guess in the beginning, you're always finding out ways to purchase with maybe 20% down and then you quickly run out of cash. Absolutely. If I knew that, that would have helped a lot. I'm not sure how much larger or faster, but it, it would have definitely helped a lot. Yeah. Another tip would be um, I, I have my real estate license and my father is a broker, but any deal that we want to pursue, I would recommend for your listeners as well to always have the listing agent represent you. It always helps. And it seems like it always works. And I, I, I think we lost a couple of deals at least <laughs> by not utilizing this strategy. And another uh, wise investor also mentioned the same thing. And he was very adamant about the strategy. So that's definitely one other tip I would recommend. Right. To you Especially in the commercial world. Yes. Especially in the commercial world, uh, double ending is definitely a thing. Yeah, yeah it's huge. It's huge. Um, another tip I can give to your listeners, if you're making an offer on a property and you know that there's multiple offers and you receive a counteroffer and you know the other parties are also getting that counteroffer and you really want it and it pencils out even at the counter price, what I would recommend is countering the counteroffer by let's say three to five thousand dollars more, because you know you know the other parties are going to accept the counter, but if you counter the counter with a higher offer, you'll stand apart from the crowd. I also recommend uh, letters. I mean, even commercial deals, uh, they won us a couple deals um, by writing personal letters, um, laying out your intentions, 
putting a couple of pictures. I think that's also along with kind of financials, if you could also include like references from other real estate investors, sellers that you worked with in the past, just kind of building in that uh, offer substance um, helps a lot when presenting your offer to the seller. Yeah, that's a great tip. I actually think that letters didn't matter, but then I realized, oh man, this is a very emotional business. So if they like you, they'll tell you at least, hey, here's an offer we got, just match it and we'll sell it to you. Oh yeah, that, that absolutely happened last year for us. Um, we were making an offer on a one of our larger assets and uh, it was an old family trust and all the family members were spread apart for the United States. And it was between us and two other parties. Um, I wrote a letter to the sellers, um, thanking them for the long ownership, um, telling them our um, background as small business owners and small time investors. And apparently the other um, competitor um, is a Taqueria owner and all of the commercial tenants on that building didn't have a lease and there was a, there is a restaurant there. So because they knew our intentions that we weren't a restaurant in the restaurant business and they knew he was and that he would potentially basically kick them out on day one, they essentially went with our offer because of that aspect. So you never know what will touch people different ways, but uh, that definitely worked in that case study. Awesome. So what's next for you guys? What are your plans for the future? Yeah, um, that's a good question. I guess um, looking at existing debt and maybe doing some uh, some refinances and potentially um, doing a couple more acquisitions if the deal comes up and it's right and potentially selling some of the existing buildings if the offer was right on those two. Still a little up in the air and we're just seeking opportunity as opportunities as they come. Awesome. So how can people get in contact with you? Yeah, they could um, call, email me. My number is 415-875-0177. 415-875-0177. My email is Hanna, spelled H-A-N-N-A, at Azar, A-Z-A-R, Realty, R-E-A-L-T-Y, group.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing today. And I hope to see you around in the very near future. Definitely. Nice chatting with you, Sean. You too, man. All right. Thanks. Take care. Bye. Here are some of the key takeaways I got from speaking with Hana. It's possible to find good deals on the market. You just have to find your niche and actively look for those types of deals. For commercial real estate, let the listing broker double end the deal and always write letters to the sellers, telling them your background and your intent. It doesn't hurt and it may help you win the deal. If you get offered a counter offer with other people, Bid a few thousand dollars more to secure the win. And throughout your real estate career, think of creative financing solutions to allow yourself to scale quicker. And finally, the real way to creating wealth is to purchase properties that have an opportunity for value add. Hope you learned a lot. Thanks and have a great day. This was another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a five-star rating. It'll take less than a second and it'll help a lot. You can contact me at seanpanrealty at gmail.com. That's S-E-A-N-P-A-N-R-E-A-L-T-Y at gmail.com. Thanks and have a great day.